Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. For my birthday, Kim gave me a GPS, a global positioning system so I could more effectively find my way out of our driveway, (laughs) for starters. Whatever it is in a person that helps them know when they're facing east or that taking three lefts will take them around the block and back to where they started, whatever it is, I don't have it. (laughs) Or I didn't have it until I got my tom-tom, whose name is David. David, like his namesake, our hiking friend David Thompson speaks with a New Zealand accent. He says, David. He also says things like, stay on the right lane, and enter the roundabout straight on. And when he gets me where I'm going, a little racing car finish line banner appears on the screen, and he declares triumphantly, you have reached your destination. (laughs) What happens between the time I get into the car and ask David to take me where I'm going and the time when I have reached my destination is really extraordinary. All I have to do is drive. Really, if my life depended on it, I couldn't tell you how I got to where I've arrived. This is an exercise in surrender like I've never experienced surrender. And he's so modest. And best of all, he's never crabby. Nor does he make fun of me. If through operator error I take a wrong turn, he quietly recalculates the route. Sometimes, in a calm voice, he'll say, turn around when possible. (laughs) He has never, even once, used the word idiot. (laughs) Not having to sweat over directions has significantly freed me up for theological reflection. (laughs) Recently, as we made our way, David and I, through the wilds of Wilmington, wherever that is, I wondered in my composed repose, my state of complete surrender, is this what people mean when they speak of a sense of being led? Here's my answer, yes and no. Yes, turn it over to a higher power, and what was that old Greyhound best bus commercial? Leave the driving to us. That's what I read into this brief passage from Alan Lightman's Einstein's Dreams, illustrating the way in which seemingly random and not terribly momentous events can create a through line to greatness. He writes, Peter Clausen is making his way to the apothecary on Spitalgas this afternoon of 16 April 1905. If Peter Clausen is sufficiently delayed, he may not be in time to buy the ointment for his wife, who has been complaining of leg aches for weeks. In that case, Peter Clausen's wife, in a bad humor, may decide not to make the trip to Lake Geneva. 
And if she does not go to Lake Geneva on 23 June 1905, she will not meet Catherine de Pinay walking on the jetty of the East Shore and will not introduce Mademoiselle de Pinay to her son, Richard. In turn, Richard and Catherine will not marry on 17 December 1908 and will not give birth to Friedrich on 8 July 1912. Friedrich Clausen will not be father to Hans Clausen, born on 22 August 1938. And without Hans Clausen, the European Union of 1979 will never occur. So that's the yes, surrender, and all will be well response to embracing the idea of being led. But what about the no? No, that's not all there is to being led. This is the Unitarian Universalist response. No Unitarian Universalist gets off that easy. We have to prepare and make ourselves ready to receive and be on the lookout and connect all the dots, study and process as much as we can before the journey is truly meaningful and the insights profound. And then sometimes, just sometimes, something truly extraordinary happens. It's like that Sidney Harris cartoon of um, two mathematicians or scientists at the blackboard which is covered with numbers and symbols on both the left and the right. And in the middle, in between two sets of equations, it says, then a miracle occurs. <laughs> and pointing to that, one man is saying to the other, I think you should be more explicit here in step two. Here's a wonderful story. Alfred Williams was born in Eudora, Arkansas in 1937 the fourth of nine children. When he was just eight years old, Alfred went to work with his sharecropper father, picking cotton, corn, potatoes, and cabbage. At the end of a long, long day in the fields, there was no reading hour. We were just too busy to learn anything, he says. His mother could read, but his father could not. People took advantage of his father his whole life. Alfred vowed it would not happen to him. But while his twin sneaked off to school, Alfred stayed in the fields. Someone had to work so we could eat, he says. Mama cried that I couldn't go to school. She made me promise that someday I would learn to read. For 69 years, life took him elsewhere. Alfred married at 18. Eventually, he had 10 children. He worked as a metal worker and a roofer. He just never made it back to school. And then one day, walking a friend's kids to Edison Elementary School in St. Joseph, Missouri, he met Alicia Hamilton, the first grade teacher. She called her students friends. Never did she raise her voice, he recalls. I thought, maybe she could teach me. And so it was that in August 2006, Alfred Williams matriculated at Ellison Elementary as a first grader. Attending daily from 9 a.m. till noon, Alfred is now in his second year in Miss Hamilton's class using a finger roughened by years of physical labor to follow the words he reads. He now counts his accomplishments by the books in his reading nook. 
the three little pigs. Bill Cosby's The Best Way to Play, a little book for beginning readers, and a children's Bible. On a recent morning, he's beginning a new book with his two six-year-old reading buddies, Denise and Jessica. It's Denise's turn to go at too many puppies. Alfred interrupts, what did you say that word was? I think it's yikes, says Denise. Jessica agrees. I don't hear that one very often, says Alfred. Edison is a school where 87% of the students get free lunch and one-parent families are the norm. The help is going both ways. Alfred is making a difference in their lives. Leah, now a second grader, says, Alfred, show me now to stretch my words out if you couldn't figure it out. He's helped so many of us. He's a great person to have in your class. Alfred says, I tell the kids they can have anything they want in life if they stay in school. His first book is the one he cherishes most, Little Bear, about a mother bear caring for her cub. I will never forget it, he says. That was like saying to my mother, I did it. I did what I promised I'd do. I learned to read. Alfred Williams was led by his mother and by his commitment to keep a promise, love and devotion. He allowed himself to be led and he was determined to be led. I'm deeply compelled by those twin directives, love and devotion. We could be talking about a higher power here, higher than a promise, higher than a mother even, if there is such a thing, but we don't need to unless we want to. A sense of being led starts with something small or something big, a thin stream of light in the darkness or a great flash of vision or clarity. Either way, it's nothing but water under the bridge unless we decide to give it our attention, our love, and our devotion. Do you know the biblical story of the burning bush? The book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Here's the King James Version. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And God said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. It's my favorite part. You are standing on holy ground. The truth is that we are all of us, every one of us standing always standing on holy ground. 
but it takes turning away to look, as it were, that movement of stopping and seeking and sizing up to get the deepest meaning from an experience. David, my GPS, affords me the luxury of surrender. He leads, I follow, which means it's up to me to take in the sights and appreciate them in all their glory, even if he and I are the only ones in the car. In his mountaintop sermon, Dr. King said, I just want to do God's will. Can you hear his voice, that rolling cadence of that magnificent voice saying those words, I just want to do God's will. They are imprinted on my soul. Even in his darkest hours, even on that Memphis night before he died, Dr. King kept the faith that he was being led. He called it God. I've come to call it God, shorthand for good, for love, service, justice, and peace. But there's no need to squirm. As Unitarian Universalists, we're called to call it what we will or to argue passionately about calling it anything. But I have learned that you are the most firmly avowed atheists in this beautiful, pluralistic congregation, are among our most spiritual people. I know you know what it means to be possessed of a sense of being led. In Wednesday's Globe, there was a tiny story out of Baltimore that we might have all missed, but shouldn't. Last Saturday, Johns Hopkins surgeons transplanted a half dozen kidneys simultaneously, the first time this has ever happened anywhere. The operations were made possible when an altruistic donor, a person willing to donate to anyone, was found to be a match for one of five transplant candidates, each of whom had a willing but incompatible donor. That enabled a chain of donations involving six donors and six recipients on a waiting list. Imagine what led that altruistic donor to give up their kidney. Imagine how you would feel if you needed a kidney and someone you loved gave you theirs. Let alone how you would feel if a complete stranger made the decision to step up and stand between your life and your death. How would you feel then? The world would never be the same, would it? Suddenly, anyone might be the person who gave you back your health and your future. That one stunning move, the decision to be an altruistic donor, would touch untold numbers of people for the rest of your life, including me, and now, including all of you. The very fact that such a generous and courageous person is among us is uplifting. The fact that we inhabit the planet with them can give us faith in humanity.
We don't know what led the altruistic donor to that decision, but we can celebrate their having arrived at yes. And we can seek to open to the source of awakening and inspiration that empowers us to give ourselves away, which in the end and in the beginning is where we might pray to be led. My spiritual companions, GPS or not, may we embrace surrender. Whether we string together seemingly random events and call them fate, or give ourselves to the mystery of, and then a miracle occurs, let us attune to the sense of being led. May we be carried on the wings of love and devotion and an abiding sense of goodness, love, service, justice, and peace. Lost and found, when we remember that everywhere is holy ground, we have reached our destination. <laughs>